The Kinky Cocktail Hour is brought to you by Motor Bunny, the world's most powerful saddle-style vibrator that offers fabulous creative sexual experiences. We use it and it rotates, it vibrates, and it delivers mind-blowing orgasms. Enjoy Motor Bunny as your favorite sex toy. When you order the Motor Bunny, multiple attachments are included along with the link controller, which allows wireless control from anywhere. Motor Bunny is the world's most powerful saddle-style vibrator on earth. Use the link in the show notes and spice up your sex life with a Motor Bunny. You're listening to Kinky Cocktail Hour, a conversation between adults about sex-forward relationships, kinky lifestyles, and frank communication. If you're under 18, please stop listening and visit scarletteen.com. I'm Lady Petra, and my pronouns are she, hers, and we. I'm Safa Master, and my pronouns are him, his, and we. And this is Kinky Cocktail Hour. Cheers! Cheers. Okay, what are we drinking today? We're drinking a rum old-fashioned. How many old-fashions have we tried? We've tried a tequila old-fashioned. Mezcal. Mezcal old-fashioned. Bourbon. Bourbon. Whiskey. Rye. Rye. Whiskey. whiskey now rum. Scotch, I Scotch, think. yeah. I think we're close to 10. I, did. Close. I would have to go look them back up. Wow. Because there's different things we did to some of those too that yeah. made them a different drink. Yeah. So this one's interesting because I'm having fun right now because we've really made so many cocktails at this point and had bought some alcohol to fill some of those cocktails as we tried them, as well as you had longstanding bottles that were just there, yeah. never drank. So I'm being imaginative on looking what we have and can we make something out of what we have? Because then when the cabinet gets mostly depleted, then we know, okay, we have to have Dom, we have to have this, we have to have this. And we can get the essentials that we like in our cabinet. Yeah. And then anything else is fluff, you know, that kind of stuff. Yes. Right. Well, you know, it's been really fun. Oh, gosh. To find really great cocktails amongst Mm -hmm. some of the things we never really would have tried. Truly. And so, truly. you know, we're learning as we go. Right. But we're also having fun and we're cleaning out our cabinet, yes. which means a whole lot of new stuff coming yeah. in. It's it's really fun. Yeah. So this has two kinds of rum in it. Use a dark rum. I use the Kraken dark mm-hmm. rum, and that's one and a half ounces of the dark rum. And then you choose a sailor. Uh, it's usually called a sailor rum, which is an amber. Captain Morgan's has an amber right. rum. A golden rum, basically, yeah. versus a Bacardi white, right. right? And so you could use Bacardi, but it just makes it, the way they filter Bacardi, it gives it a weird flavor, and you want that caramely flavor from the coloring, basically. Right. That's what you want. So one and a half of the Kraken of the dark rum, half an ounce of the lighter rum, and then two shakes of aromatic bitters, specifically aromatic, not Angostura, but aromatic, right. and then two shakes of orange bitters. Oh. And then a teaspoon and a half of demura simple syrup, basically. So we had demura sugar and I made it into simple syrup and then used that. And then orange peel. And we had, you know, an older orange. So I put it in there and let it soak, let the oils release. And then serve it, stir it a little bit because it's not hard, not much alcohol. It's a lot of alcohol actually, but it's not very high in the glass. Stir it and add an ice ball. 
Well, but um, it'll be strong because yes. this is alcohol. This rum. is like just, there's no mixer. <laughs> we like rum. Yeah. Before we even taste it, I'm just going to take a moment and acknowledge you as a mixologist because Ooh. how would you have ever come up with this without some of that sort of knowledge that you had yeah. to look at these things? And just, I mean, you've made over 400 different cocktails. Yeah. There, different. Should, there shouldn't be a bar in the world <laughs> that you couldn't run. I, yeah, you know, what's helpful is I'm exposed and I I understand parting much better now. Yeah. And I have my own met- method to my madness on my parting. Yeah. And I also am very aware, more so ever than now, you know, at this point, of the typical, well, I know more about gins. Yes. And I know, obviously, the botanicals versus the London dries. But I know how to choose those. For what we like, yeah, right. Because I've tried enough of those, you know, scotches. I get way more whiskeys. Scotch, yeah. I get bourbons. Yeah. I get. Yeah. I I could try. There's way more bourbons to try, but I haven't seen a huge difference between them. So I welcome any listeners to send me suggestions of mm. bourbons. But what's been fascinating is to have those staple liqueurs to complement and build cocktails from, like right. Dom Benedictine is key for us at least in our flavor profiles it's key to have angostura bitters to have orange bitters key galliano was a similar version of dom but it's not as Mm. interesting to us yeah yeah, i would rather we have a green chartreuse it'd be interesting to try yellow chartreuse just because it adds different things so i like chartreuses i like absinthe on hand i like the drambuie is very limited, but I have this weird feeling because when I look up a lot of things about Drambuie, because it's a honey liqueur, but it also has botanicals in it, little differently than, than Dom, but similar. But because it's so sweet, I want to play and figure with acid how to get rid of some of that sweetness because I think there's more flavor in Drambuie mm. if we play with it. But it, but when you look up Drambuie cocktails, they give you rusty nail, and that's all they do oh, over and over. So I think we have some ideas on how to build our cabinet Yeah, in a way where we can, and you know, and if we had to have martinis every day, I wouldn't kill me. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will say though, that this has been one of the most enjoyable aspects of this podcast is the conversation we've had around different cocktails over time. Right. And just the sheer curiosity and discovery yeah, and you know. we and we've obviously explored beers. We had a whole Oktoberfest yeah. thing going on, right? And then we we do wines too. And the beer was an exceptional that, experience was, for us. It was revelatory. Yeah, because yeah. it's it kind of like anal April. Right. <laughs> we actually learned really succinctly what we like, and in fact, after beer month, we ended up grabbing Negro uh, Mandelos Blanca. Yeah, and. It's fabulous. We're like, as a lager, yeah. this is like our favorite, like our go-to. I mean, before that, we were like, okay, we want a nice, nice lager. We'll get a Stella. Yeah. And if we want kind of a in-the-trenches lager that's good and rough and ready, we get a Heineken. Right. And, oh, you know, we'll have a Pacifico and we're having Mexican. And right. and we even thought Coronas. And now I can barely palate Corona. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and... uh I long for the Negro Modelo. It, it's yeah. just beautiful. Yeah. Well, it's been fun. So let's taste this. Yeah. I love the rum smell. I love uh, it. And the orange. Yeah, the rum and the orange is great. Well, that will fuck you up. That'll fuck you up. But the bitters really is what that, transports that, that drink. This is like so easy. 
it's an easy thing to drink. Now you know you can tell there's alcohol yes, in there. Yes, you can. But the bitters but it softens change it. Yeah. yeah, it changes the rum mm-hmm. dramatically. That's a great sip being old fashioned. Isn't that good? You know, it's been amazing to discover like you can have old fashioned all these different ways. Right. And you know, a lot of times old fashioned will have other things in it because of they're using a, a rye or a yeah. bourbon. And this was just rum and two kinds of bitters. I mean, yeah. that's it. It's, it's crazy good. It's it's actually excellent. It's a great sipping drink. Yeah. Well done. Today's conversation is brought to you by WeMinder, a behavior chart app for kinky couples like us. Learn more at WeMinder.app. People versus Larry Flint. Yeah, we're going to review a film. So great. Yeah, it seems like I'd seen this before, but really, when we watched it in its entirety, I recognized I probably only see a part of it when I first saw it. Well, maybe what you saw was the headlines from the newspapers. Possibly, yes, because that was definitely during a time when we were hanging out. And it's weird. It's really timely because this movie came out in 1996, right at Christmas time. Yeah. So it's Christmas time. Yeah. So it's amazing. We watched, you know, around the same time. So Woody Harrelson plays Larry Flint. Yes. Courtney Love plays his, his love yeah. interest, his wife, basically uh, Althea Leisure, which is funny because that is her kind of like her stage name. Right. <laughs> and then Ed Norton is their attorney that ends up eventually, he goes through other court cases and things like that on a local level, state level, but then eventually goes all the way to the Supreme Court yeah. and fights for Larry. And it probably was a very difficult relationship for the attorney you know, to have with Larry Flint. Basically, Alan Isaacman was the attorney in real life. And that's who Ed Norton played. But I'm sure it got contentious because Larry, even I've seen truly Larry Flint on TV. He's a difficult man. He was a difficult man. It was, yeah. In everything I saw on TV, when he would be like in interviews, he just was always pushing the envelope. Everything was shock and awe. Right. Which, you know, if you think about it, it makes sense for the magazine Hustler. And so what I want to ask is because you were a young man growing up in that time. I mean, I look at the girly magazines because boyfriends would have them, right? And of course, I did look at Hustler, not ongoingly, but I looked at Hustler. And so what was your impression of that magazine compared to the, you know, let's say Penthouse or Playboy or that kind of thing? Yeah, well, so I never really consumed those magazines to a great degree. Sure. I did have an occasion to buy Playboy magazines and occasionally a penthouse. Yeah. And I paged through Hustler. I never really spent much time in Hustler. Right. I found it to be, I found Playboy to be a magazine that left a lot to the imagination. Right. I found Penthouse to be a magazine that spelled it out a little more clearly, but still left a lot to the imagination. Mm -hmm. And I found Hustler to be in your face porn. Yes. And the photographs in Playboy and Penthouse, like like Playboy was tamer than Penthouse. Definitely. And Hustler was like any porn magazine you would find. You know, the girls were spread wide. Their labia were pinned back. It was like nothing left to the imagination, like zero. It's also the models were different too. It seems the that were, the models were in, in Hustler. Well, and I, I don't want to disrespect those models per se, but they were unknowns. Yeah. 
like you know the local go-go dancer let's sure. just say yeah, yeah. comparative to playboy would get a spread with bo Derek or christy brinkley or something along those lines and and that's why they got to a certain echelon because they'd get these famous people to appear nude yeah i just think that the 70s and 80s were a really interesting time right because it was all before the internet yeah and these magazines were the way sex was in the public domain. Right. And it was a time of relative sexual awakening. You know, the 60s was really the period of sexual awakening. Mm-hmm. And this was like the 70s and 80s. So it followed on the 60s. So there was free love. There was more of that. Hugh Hefner was like this very debonair sort of man about town, gentleman's club sort of guy. Yeah. Penthouse, I never really knew who was behind Penthouse. Yeah, you didn't. But I definitely knew who was behind Hustler. Yes. Larry Flint was in the media, in the news, in your face, in a big way. Well, he was going to court in the middle of the 70s, basically, off and on, for smut peddling, basically, is what they were doing. And Ohio was heavy against him. And then he connected with Ruth Carter Stapleton, which is Jimmy Carter's sister. sister. Yeah. And I don't know much about her motives other than what I saw in the film, but basically was trying to get him in touch with Jesus. Right. You know, and he did a stint on that because I think he was searching for something during that time. And then shortly, that was back 75. And so shortly after that in 78, he had... Uh, just left the courthouse on another case because Larry was always in court and a man shot him. It was an assassination. Yeah. Assassination attempt shot him and left him paralyzed. Right. And also shot his attorney. Yeah. Shot his attorney for sure. And so then with that, you know, he's paralyzed. So now what, you know, he feels his manliness is all gone. He renounces God you know, well, this was a part of, of his life that I didn't know about. Well, see, and I only remember seeing Larry in a wheelchair. No, I did. I remember seeing him in the wheelchair. I remember his assassination attempt, but I never really knew about his life as a paraplegic. Oh, yeah. And his wife, Althea, was like totally on board. She really stuck with him. I mean, through thick and thin, through thick like and through thin, he yeah. went to jail and yeah. she went and visited, you know. So he basically got addicted to painkillers. He did. And she got and addicted she... to heroin. Was a so she was a junkie. She um, got AIDS, right? She was a junkie. Well, well, what I mean is they were so connected. She just got into what he was doing. Whatever yeah. he was into, she was into. So yeah. when he got into painkillers, she got into it. And then yeah. you're right, she got AIDS. And this is a time where, she, well, she got she first got HIV and then proceeded to AIDS because you can see her deteriorate in the film. Yeah, but by now they've been junkies. Like this is in '78 to '84. Long time. I mean, that's a long time of hard. They're they're wealthy enough to afford it. Thirty thousand dollars a a visit by their doctor to bring right. them morphine and drugs, right? right? And so you watch her waste away, and then after eighty four, you know, Larry finds Althea dead in the bathtub at eighty seven, right? And she was really young when they first met, just 18 when they met. Just about 18, right? Yeah. And so, you know, this isn't very far in. They've been together nonstop since that time. But really, she's not very old when she Uh, dies, you know. And so they end up going in 88 to uh, Hustler Magazine versus Falwell. And that basically is because 
Campari used to run these ads. <clears throat> they had a gimmick. The ad at the end of the conversation in the ad, the whole point of the ad was to talk about the first time you tried Campari. But the way the ad was written was it made it sound in the beginning of the article like it was your first time with sex, right. which made sense to have it in Hustler. And they do this with famous people all the time. Well, right. one of the times they, especially after he renounced God, they chose to put Jerry Falwell in right. the ad. Now, initially this came out and people didn't think either way on it until right. his ministry got a hold of it, which leads me to think interesting because that's before we really got the internet going where you could do searches on where right. important people are. So that means these people who are godly are actually buying, buying Hustler. hustler. Right. <laughs> so that's another whole story in its own. But they come to fall and show him. And so then, of course, we start going through these cases. Yeah. So, so Falwell sued Hustler. Yep. And, and one in the and, lower and, and court. one in the lower courts. And it made its way to the Supreme Court. Yep. And, you know, this movie is really interesting because you really get a fantastic performance by Ed Norton. Yeah. As the lawyer. Yeah. And I was really moved by his speech in front of the Supreme Court. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. And, you know, this was the Rehnquist Court. It was yeah. a pretty conservative court. Yep. And, you know, Rehnquist was appointed by Reagan and Scalia's in the court. But it's a pretty conservative court by and large. Mm -hmm. And the court decision after the case comes back and it's a nine to zero court. Yeah. And, and the actual court decision was written by Rehnquist. Yeah, that's what moved me in the very end. I mean, Larry is reminiscing about Althea. Yeah you know, passing. He's watching old home movies. Yeah. And his lawyer calls him. Right. And says, you know, we have a decision. And he's kind of holding on to the answer. And Larry's right. like, did we win? Did we win? Yeah. And then it's a great moment where Ed reads Rehnquist's statement yeah. for the finding on the case. I think you should read it. And I'm going to read it because yeah. it moved me on many ways. We'll talk about it in a second. So this is what Rehnquist found. At the heart of the First Amendment is recognition of fundamental importance of the free flow of ideas and opinions on matters of public interest and concern. The fact that society may find speech offensive is not a sufficient reason for suppressing it. Indeed, if it is the speaker's opinion that gives offense, that consequence is a reason for according its constitutional protection. And that's all that was said in the movie, and I was moved by that because... I mean, the people like to raise the morality question against Larry Flint as to, well, he was just trying to win. He was an asshole. He just wanted to win. He really wasn't going after rights of free speech, but he was, I mean, over and over again, if you think about it. And who best to uphold our rights is someone who's on the very far extreme. Because right. if you think about it, the reason we can do a podcast, an adult explicit podcast that goes out to the whole world and we're talking about kink and sex, and we're being explicit, is because this right, the First Amendment right, is being protected. That's right. Now, by I'm, people like Larry Flint. By people like Larry Flint, yeah. yeah. Now, it's a very important consideration. You know, last year, we came pretty close to living in a totalitarian construct. Yep. And when you read decisions like this, you get the value of being free. This is free speech. And, and, and this is speech. a conservative court who sees the value in the amendment. Yeah, this is free speech. And this is the conservative court asserting the value 
and codifying the value into law for... And serving the people. And serving the people, codifying the value into law for the freedom of self-expression. Yeah. And we're all about self-expression. We are. Yeah, that's the basis. That's, that's our basis of our podcast, right, is, is getting people to live into their complete self-expression as sexual creatures. Right. Right? So I thought this movie was really interesting. I found the performances of Woody Harrelson and of Courtney Love very believable. Yeah. I found Ed Norton's portrayal of the attorney very believable. Yes. And I was really, it was interesting for me because these were stories in the news as I was growing up Mm -hmm. and I was aware of them. Mm Mm-hmm. But I never really was involved in sort of the hustler experience, right? Right. But I was aware of it. It was kind of like on my periphery all the time because mm-hmm. I was a young sexual male. Yes. You know, and I yeah. was aware of all of these goings on. But I found the experience of Larry Flint as portrayed in the movie quite moving. You know, here's mm-hmm. a here's a, a man who, you know, he's on the edge of society. He's a bit of a hustler. He's a bit of a smut peddler. And he gets impacted by this in ways through his life. But he took advantage of a moment in time. Mm-hmm. And the moment was Playboy was in the zeitgeist, Penthouse was in the zeitgeist, and there was a, a demand for something more. And he provided that demand. Mm-hmm. And he created a million-dollar empire with pussy. That's I know, what he did. exactly. Yeah. yeah. But he just responded to the moment and he was very, very thoughtful, if in a way, in the way that he set about establishing himself through time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he just made a shit ton of money. And he was very much like the hick who got money. He just was. Right. And this is kind of off topic, but in the same mm-hmm. line of the movie is one thing that struck me as I was looking at the real case and the in real life is Richard Paul plays Jerry Falwell. Oh, he was unbelievable. Okay, unbelievable. If you get a chance, you should definitely Wikipedia Richard Paul and Jerry Falwell and look at them side by side. It's unbelievable. It's uncanny. uncanny. Yeah. And then one other thing that I learned after doing some research was amazingly, after all of this, after after the court decided that you know, basically that if there's a parody piece of a famous person and it can't be believable by the average person, which no one believed that he was getting drunk on the pulpit or his first time was with his mother. Right. Okay. That that can't be considered defamation, you know, character. And so they go through this huge Supreme Court. It's all these things. And then come to find out after the case has settled, Falwell, in real life, Falwell and Flint actually trade Christmas cards, family photos. They hang out. They hang out. They go do speaking engagements about morality and the First Amendment at colleges. And when Falwell died in, I think, 2007, Flint said, I could have never put my finger on this, that we would have ended up friends. Yeah, well, I mean... Larry Flint had a flirtation with Christianity through he did. Rosalind Carter. You're right. So he and was. So he had a, he had a, a vocabulary mm-hmm. that he could communicate with Falwell. Yes. Around, but all said and done, you can take Larry Flint for what he is. You mm-hmm. can take Hustler for what it is. Yeah. All said and done, he made a massive contribution to our capacity as Americans to communicate around sexuality 
in a way that's free and free. It, so even though it could be lewd and lascivious for somebody else, yeah, it doesn't matter. It yeah. can still be free, and that's powerful. You know, it really is. I think the movie's outstanding. I recommend it. I think yeah. it's a good movie to put your finger on the pulse of the seventies and eighties. Yeah, you know, AIDS was a big deal. Yep, that's dealt with in the movie. The porn industry was growing up yep. during that time. Yep. You know, I think I mentioned to you after we watched the movie that my only real interaction with Hustler mm-hmm. was really on HBO, right? So, yeah, yes. So HBO, there was a Hustler series on HBO. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching an HBO Hustler show and thinking, gosh, you know, this wasn't available just recently. This is hard porn. This is like, like yes. straight porn. Right. This isn't salacious, softcore porn like you used to be able to get right. in hotels, you know, for right. example. Right. But yeah, he made, Larry Flint made an impact. He made a massive impact to the conversation about free speech and sexuality. Mm-hmm. I recommend the movie. I think it's good. I do too. That's it for today. If you're interested in kinky relationship coaching, online domination, or if you'd like to sponsor the pod to keep it going, please visit our Patreon website at Lady Petra Playground. You can reach me via email at ladypetraplayground at gmail.com. Our music is composed and performed by Roger Ferguson, who can be found at rogerfergusonmusic.com. Till next time, cheers! Cheers!